Testing, testing, one, two, three. We're in November now, way past October. But spooky season isn't over till I say it's over. We're back with more thrills and more terror at last on Backlook Cinema, the podcast. <laughs> no, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I t- well, uh, uh, I'm back. My name is Zoe. And that was the warlock. Uh, Zoe is spelled Z-O or Z-O for those of you outside of the U.S. Uh, as, as you can see, it's in November. The warlock's power is steadily getting weaker and weaker. And uh, I suspect uh, by the end of November, he will be totally flushed out of my system. Uh, thank you for joining <laughs> us. It is the 123rd episode, and I appreciate you downloading and streaming. We watch movies of yesteryear that I loved when I was growing up in the late 1900s. I talk about my favorite parts with a special guest, and I'll share a little bit of trivia along the way. If you like what you're about to hear, then please tell your family, tell your friends, and tell that convicted felon doing time at a backwater prison colony about Backlick Cinema, the podcast. As promised, I have a very special guest for you today. And I've been waiting for his return, his esteemed presence on Backlick Cinema, the podcast. Hold on. Let me uh, pull up his credentials that were up. And then my pad went to sleep. And now now I'm waking up the pad. It's like, pad, wake up. It's time to go to work. So this fine gentleman, he's a producer extraordinaire of a most excellent podcast. He's interviewed some of the best actors, writers, and music composers known in all of television. He's built a fantastic community of followers who have gathered together for their love of Star Trek. The man of whom I speak is what who is known throughout the cosmos as producer Don. Ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce to you John T. Bowles. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Thank you all. I, I hate to say it, but that gathering of followers I've amassed, I am the worst at social media, which is why I let one of my other hosts handle all of it. And I, like, I know I just leave people crickets sometimes. But, you know, producer's life is a busy life and uh, you got to do what you got to do. That's why I have a good team. I believe that uh, you are the reason why your social, your show, yeah, uh, I can't even say the words. Your social media, I still can't say it, social. Your social medias are lit. That's, I think you, you are a big part of the success that the podcast has. Uh, producer John is, of course, the producer of Open Pike Night, and he's a voice on Green Shirt Podcast. If you haven't been listening to those, you should go ahead and check those out. And um, so, John. What have you been doing in the meanwhile? Uh, so Open Pike Night is obviously uh, a watch show where people gather together and watch Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And then they, they're they able to call That's in right. and leave a voice message on Open Pike Night and talk about various things about uh, the show. And then they also get to leave questions for your guests like uh, actors Anton Mont or uh, <laughs> the actor that plays Mortegas. <laughs> Melissa Davia. Yeah, Melissa yep. Davia, hashtag Mortegas. And, hashtag and, Mortegas, yeah. And um, various other, you, you've had writers on your show, you've had 
uh, I think the director on your show. You've had yeah, we've sh- had uh, we talked to one of the directors. We want to talk to more. Uh, we've talked to the showrunners, like Eva right. Goldsman and Henry Alonzo Myers. I mean, we've we've talked to more people than we ever planned on. But uh, there is one thing that we haven't really done that you are actually more qualified at because Zoe is one of our most dedicated repeat callers to the show and we don't actually have you know we don't do that so i don't know what the the anxiety or delight or joy is every week when we put out the the uh the cry for help because open pike night is a call-in show it may not be a live call-in show but i'll tell you what zo your voice and all the other voices of folks that call in and lend uh i mean I, I will say lend credence to the the three of us, Jesse, Cam, and I, who host the show, lend a broader range of voices. We're three white dudes, and, you know, it's nice to have not just three white dudes asking questions of somebody. I can't I, – I wish that we could – and maybe we should reach out to everybody we've interviewed and say, can we just put together a compilation, compilation of the – joy on your faces as they hear the calls because the guests love it the guests love it you know we're talking star trek actors directors writers costumers bernadette croft was great the showrunners they just they love hearing the other voices um and it's it's so much fun and and then with green shirt that's um cam who's also on open pike night is is watching star trek the next generation for the first time now 30 years later and we're going through that episode by episode and it's definitely more of a uh raunchy comedy type podcast than uh, open pike night is but it's pretty dang fun to listen to and, and talk and uh we're almost done with season six we're we're nearing the end of of the tng run but there's still movies there's still picard there's still plenty of years of green shirt to come Right, right. And you've also started dipping into Deep Space Nine. Yeah, we do the DS9 Minute where we cover one episode of Deep Space Nine in nine minutes. Uh, The way we put it is, listen to Green Shirt after you watch the TNG episode we're talking about. Listen to the DS9 Minute before you watch the DS9 (laughs) episode we're talking about. Because that one's just goofy. That one is just like off the cuff we all we all try and get nine thoughts out in nine minutes total. So that's uh, four people trying to get nine thoughts out. So we each have fifteen seconds to to spout off about something, and so far it's working pretty well. Oh man, that's pretty awesome. So another thing I wanted to ask you about, I should have you just did a call in where you asked for questions of uh, of what the uh, your listeners might have of the show because this is like the first time that you have asked your listeners to ask you guys questions and not like your guests questions, like the the writers and producers or whatnot. But there are, there yep. is a thing that you do sometimes like this is like in one case, it was when you had uh, the science advisor for that show on the podcast. Oh yeah. Dr. Aaron and McDonald. Yep. You created this fantastic intro where you kind of cobbled together of some of the other guests that were on the show that referenced her and talked about how important her contribution was to the show. So are you doing that? Is, is, or are you using AI? I do the, uh, I do the audio collages. Thank you. No, it's, it is so fun. Um, I would say, yeah, the one thing if I would do those for every guest, if I could, it really is, it comes down to, um, 
how clearly, you know, we give our callers 90 seconds and it, it comes down to how clearly they can, uh, like if somebody called in and said, here is a compliment for the person. And then here is a question for the person. And I got eight or 10 calls like that. I would do one of those collages every time because <laughs> I, we, it, it makes the person cry almost every time, especially when we can get some of their coworkers praise in there. And yeah. it, I really enjoy doing it. It's, it's like one of my, you know, those those types of projects that just scratch the creative itch for you is I I love putting somewhat cheesy inspirational music behind uh, quotes, complimenting people and praising them and then just watching them kind of melt down as they hear everybody telling telling them how awesome they are. So I love doing it. And yeah, that would be if I had one wish for open pike night, it would be that we would get more calls that are half a question, half a compliment, and I could just trim those together. But it's so fun. Yeah. It's, it's fun to make those. What really impressed me is like when you did that intro for the science advisor, what had happened was you had to comb through the interviews of your guests. So sometimes this is like an hour and a half or two hours of audio and find out where they gave that compliment, clipped that, and then paste that together with all the other ones. That that must have took a while to put together. So, okay. Actually, so we recorded this episode you talked about. We recorded last night our Behind the Bricks episode, and I didn't talk about this. Um, so what I do is when I'm editing that interview, I set those clips aside while I'm editing that oh, interview in hopes, in right. hopes that we will get that person. And so sometimes it's like I got to blow the digital dust off of a file folder and be like, oh, yeah, somebody <laughs> did pay them a compliment 18 months ago. And here I've got it set aside. So, yeah, I... I didn't do that for, I think I started doing that right around the time, I think the second time somebody mentioned, mentioned Dr. Aaron, I started pulling clips whenever somebody mentions names, which for somebody like Bernadette Croft, the costumer, was insane because she mentioned, and I know this because I went through the whole transcript cleaning it up and correcting spellings on names, she mentioned like 27 people in that interview. Right. <laughs> And it's like, man, I, I don't know if we'll ever interview some of these. I know we won't for, you know, other designers that inspired her, but everybody in her department, I pulled that out and set it aside. That's so. that's incredible work. I feel like you found the cheat code for repeat guests on your show. <laughs> I'm I'm hoping so. We've had a couple so far. I mean, Henry Alonzo Myers and Bill Wolkoff have both been back multiple times, and we are we're just waiting for SAG AFRA to get a fair deal from the AMPTP. And we have talked to directly face to face to a lot of those actors. And like, we will come back as soon as SAG AFRA has a fair deal. And that's, that's fair. Right. Like, yeah, that's, we're that's not going to, exactly we're not going to make them break their, break their rules. I feel like they're very close. Um, but at the same time, I don't think they're, going to get a deal until after christmas because it's so close it's so close to when they take a break anyway yes. that it, yeah i feel like they're they're going to just run the clock out but here's hoping for a miracle right because yeah i know i know <laughs> i i'm right there with you i right. i do think sadly for any star trek strange new worlds fans i would not hold my breath for anything earlier than may of 2025 right and that right. is best case scenario right because um, what we'll i had see. What me and I think what a lot of other people had hoped for was like after they had settled with the writers that they would quickly settle with the the actors. But 
you know, we didn't account for ego and pride and <laughs> just a kind of, I, I don't know, maniacal attitude that some people will have. And it's like, no, we're not. Because what I, the theory that I heard is why they didn't settle with the actors right away is that they didn't want to look like they were capitulating too soon. Yes. They didn't yeah. want to look weak. Right. And I'm like, come on, yeah. guys. <laughs> so while money money is just pouring out of their pockets into right. nothing, you know, money that doesn't even exist for real, right? They're just like, no, we got to pretend we're tough, like, right? Not tough, right? right you right. guys aren't tough. You aren't creative. You work in offices, right. justifying your little empires, right? So, right. And yeah. and we've seen snippets of of them trying to use AI to try to bolster the programming, and it's oh, not yeah. going to work. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure that you've heard the news about what happened with a lot of the Marvel shows and movies. Uh, I think Variety came out with an article about they weren't even using showrunners or something like that. It was like they were taking the uh, the concept of the small writer's room or the yep. the tiny mm-hmm. writer's room, and they had stripped it down to it was like its constituent elements to try, <laughs> to try not to have any writers at all. And it's uh, yeah. and I was like, you know what? That's that's why some of these shows weren't hitting like I was hoping yeah, that they it's would. Like, hey Marvel, guess what? We can tell. Everybody yeah. can tell. There seemed to be a dramatic drop off in quality yeah. as soon as season yeah. one of everything came out. Right. Phase right. four came out. Yeah. And a lot of it, yep. I still liked it, and it's like I apologize for a lot of the shows. But then um, when this story came out, I was like, you know, that's why. That's and it's like when you look at some. Similar shows in comparison, like there's Invincible on Amazon. There's, uh, mm-hmm. what do you call it? Generation V that's out now. There's The Boys. All of these are on Amazon. And The Boys is just so much more better than anything oh, yeah. that Marvel has put out in the last couple of years. So I'm like, yeah. why? Is... And now you see why. Now you see why it's, it's so much better. And then there's another example. Uh, there, there's on HBO, there was Sandman. That's also so much better than anything oh, okay. they put out in a while. So like n- n- now that you've seen a little bit behind the curtain, you you kind of like yeah, go pay these people, go pay these people, give them. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's like I feel like, like I'm being shortchanged on entertainment. I'm being cheated out of some of the best stories, and uh, I would appreciate it if you would stop doing that, sir. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's like a bunch of producers and uh, people in offices shouldn't come interfere with the making of a film or a TV show. I wonder. I wonder if anybody's going to talk about that. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Thanks. That's an excellent transition. But before we move into the movie that we're about to talk about, why don't you go ahead and give everybody your plugs and social media, your websites, uh, and anything that's out there? Sure thing. Uh, Open Pike Night is at Open Pike on pretty much every social media platform, Uh, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. X, Twitter, whatever, Blue Sky, I think, uh, Threads, we're all we're all over the place, and OpenPike.com. We want to hear your voice. If you've never called in before, uh, go to OpenPike.com, sign up for our newsletter. We only pretty much only put out editions of that when we're calling for folks to lend their voices to the show and call in. You can just go to that website, hit a button, and record right into your phone. Um, or just record a voice memo and email it to us, openpike at gmail.com. And that is, I mean, open pike everywhere. And then green shirt is green shirt 87 on <clears throat> Twitter and green shirt podcast on Instagram. And those can both be found on every podcast platform. 
and check them out if you're a Star Trek fan. I think they're fun. I love doing them with my friends, and I love all the new friends we've made doing Open Pike Night. Oh, that's awesome. I, I appreciate being part of that community. And we absolutely appreciate it, too. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. So um, let us move on to our first segment. Let us know about the movie that we're about to talk about. Okay, we are talking about Alien 3 today from 1993, I believe, directed by David Fincher, and definitely the most maligned and uh, lowest rated of the Alien movies, I think unfairly. I'm not saying this is a perfect movie. I do think this movie is unfairly judged and... uh, Yeah, I enjoy watching it. I've always enjoyed watching it. So when we left our hero, Lieutenant Ellen Ripley, she had laid herself in a sleeping pod for her long voyage home after narrowly escaping a dangerous alien. This sounds like the opening of last week's episode, but apparently this is how all the alien movies are going to start off from here now on. This time, however, her escape craft is damaged and it crash lands on a prison planet. She hopes that the alien threat is behind her. Did she leave it all behind, or will she have to relive this terrifying experience? Yeah, so um, I guess as we watch the movie, she's obviously going to relive that terrifying experience. (laughs) Otherwise, we're not having a movie. Uh, Otherwise, in in a different reality, there was no alien threats, and she was kept in the infirmary the entire time, and the corporation came and picked her up, and and that's the end of the movie. No issues, yeah. But, of course, obviously... Uh, it's called Alien 3, so we're going to have aliens in the movie. Otherwise, why bother leaving the house? <laughs> so <laughs> um, this movie was released May 22nd, 1992 or 93. I, I guess IMDb, IMDb is saying 92. Produced, yeah, by, okay. produced by 20th Century Fox and Brandywine Production. It grossed over $55 million. So in today's money, that's $120 million in the U.S. and Canada, and over $159 million worldwide. And adjusted for inflation, that is $387 million. I mean, it's not bad. It almost nope, it kind bad. of breaks even, kind of, sort of. It's, it justifies making a sequel. And then yes. the worldwide reported budget is $50 million, and so that's $109 million today. So... uh if you can imagine today's movie, that kind of compares with like The Nun, that they spent $109 million to make the movie and they made worldwide $348 million. So, yeah. It, it so, kind of eked out a pretty good, it, it made even. Let's yeah. just put it that way. It, it, yeah, it, it made even, even, like, especially with ho- Hollywood math. Right, like, right, right. Yeah. Uh, it, to it, all of us, it's like, wow, I'll take that investment every day. But, right, you know, right, right. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so they was like, well, uh, we made just enough money that maybe people will come back for Alien 4. So let us know who's starring in this movie. All right. Obviously, we have Sigourney Weaver starring as Lieutenant Ellen Ripley. Uh, upcoming, she has several movies, Dust Bunny, The Gorger, and Avatar 3, 4, and 5. 
Right. She she's doing all of the avatars. It was it was hard yep. to uh, go back to some of her movies because like next week we'll be doing another Scorny Weaver movie again. So right. I yeah. I don't know what I'm going <laughs> to put that. Alien, aliens. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Just just a bunch of stuff that nobody knows about. Just just a bunch of movies that what Scorny Weaver was in that. It's like yep yep she was in that one. Yep. <laughs> so yeah she's a fantastic actor obviously uh she's been in a lot of our favorite movies and i can't wait to see what she's going to do next up next is charles s dutton he plays leonard dillon he's been in gothica a time to kill and legion and he's one of my favorite actors but i don't remember seeing him in any of these movies I remember, I remember him from Gothica. I remember, uh, because he, I think he was the husband who gets murdered in that. I saw him recently. Um, I was watching Longmire on Netflix. Oh, was he on Longmire? Uh, he was in it for, uh, I think maybe five or six episodes. He okay. had a little story arc there. And, uh, I, I gotta tell you, that was 20 plus years later. I'm like, he looks, younger in, <laughs> in Longmire than he does in this movie. <laughs> like, dang, Charles, that's done. You, like, you can live forever. He, yeah. yeah. He, and uh, joining him was another Charles, a great Charles, both of them. Uh, Charles Dance as Dr. Jonathan Clemens, The King's Man, Johnny English Strikes Again, The Last Action Hero. I love him in The yeah. Last Action Hero. Uh, he's one of my favorite characters in The Last Action Hero. And yeah. that was, we covered that back in episode 57. So, uh, yeah, just, just a fantastic actor. Obviously, most people know him, at least nowadays, as, as one of the main Lannisters from this popular yep. show called game of thrones so yeah all just a uh consummate professional oh yeah up next we have brian glover he plays harold andrews and he's been in an american werewolf in london 1942 a love story and snow white a tale of horror uh, i'm not familiar with most of these films mainly because i think mm. these are like british films and he's a British actor, uh, as is most of the cast. And uh, and uh, f- similarly, I'm not familiar with most of the cast. Uh, one of the problems with this movie is that many of the characters don't necessarily stand out. So I'm just kind of <laughs> plugging in people <laughs> who I think might be important. To, or I'm plugging in the actors no, who I play characters made a good, who I might I think you made good choices. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Because next up we have Paul McGann, uh, who played Walt, plays Walter Golick, and I think plays him wonderfully. Uh, he's of the Three Musketeers, Letters from Baghdad, and Queen of the Damned. He is also, I think, the eighth Doctor Who. Oh, okay. And I believe oh, he only he, had in an audio a movie. drama. I think he was. I know he he like it was the mid nineties, the U.S movie version of Doctor Who that he played. Oh, I think that Kat, was that guy. He looks so different yeah, in this one. And he, he did, right? I just like man, it is hard to recognize that's him. And that was only like three years before Doctor Who. And then obviously, I think in the War Doctor timeline, we get to see they made a short film with him transitioning to the War Doctor. But that's for our Doctor Who nerds, right? I right, definitely right. don't know what I'm talking about. No. <laughs> <laughs> Up next is Ralph Brown. He played Francis eighty five Aaron. He's been in Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. And Wayne's World. I, I couldn't find a lot of movies that I'm familiar with him in, but I, I just love I his... remember him from both those. Right, yeah. right. I uh, love him in Wayne's World. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, I just love 
uh, that character in Alien 3 and the fact that his nickname was 85. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, he is, he is a somewhat tragic hero in that, in this film. He could have been a joke. He could have been just <clears throat> like the downtrodden guy, but there's certain moments where it's like, man, this guy is, he really is doing the best he can. He's just in over his head, but he's always, he doesn't back down from it. So yeah, I'm, I like him. And we get the return of Lance Henriksen as uh, Michael Bishop. Does he have a first name? Oh, that that I didn't know. It, that. Michael. Oh, yeah. So. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah, had, yeah. The 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 human version and right, and right, Bishop. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, what and, I did uh, was I kind of dug into um, what you call it the what do you call it the 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 Wikipedia version of Alien. Okay. And oh. uh, and found that he had a first name. I think that they mentioned his first name in the next movie, but I kind of cheated a little bit here. <laughs> okay. In, in the I movie, like it. I didn't know that. Right. In the movie, he's credited as Bishop, too. Yeah. And he's got upcoming. He's still going out. He's still acting. Uh, Altered Reality, one, and when Jack comes back. And obviously, man, every movie in the 80s and 90s, action, but like this man has been acting forever yeah he's been acting for a long time and uh what was remarkable is like i guess in um both aliens and alien 3 i guess from my perspective when i originally watched it way back when he seemed like an older character but now when i i just watched alien 3 and i and i watched uh aliens like a couple of weeks ago and i was like oh he he looks real rather young, young right yeah yeah <laughs> that's why he's been that's why he's been acting for so long it kind of reminds me of like professional wrestlers and they're still wrestling it's like how are these guys still wrestling like some of them are just retired like i think uh the undertaker seemed like he just retired like maybe last year oh but, wow okay and i was like what and even then, even last year, I'm like, why is he still wrestling? And as it turns out, when you look at when he first debuted and a lot of his earlier work, it's like, oh, he was like a baby when he came in wrestling. Yeah. He could <laughs> just not have kid, been more yeah. than 21 years old. <laughs> it's like he just painted his face with makeup to make him look older. And then it took like 10 years from t for him to grow into his makeup where he didn't really need it anymore to look older. <laughs> it took some time. So uh, finally, we have... Oh, see, here, uh, here, here's what's funny. Here's what's funny. I actually went to YouTube to try to figure out how to pronounce his name. <laughs> and I got a, gotten kind of good at it, but uh, I've forgotten. I totally forgot how to pronounce his name now. So I'm going to do the best I can. can uh, his name is Pete Pulsawaite. I did. I tried. I think, I I tried. think that's right. Yep. It's close. And what's funny is that he plays a character named David Pulsawaite, and he's been in <laughs> the usual the usual suspects, the town, and the Lost World, Jurassic Park, and uh, uh, he's just got that face, man. He just oh, it's yeah. like whenever you see a movie, he's like, oh, it's that guy. He's just got that face when <laughs> you yep. recognize him instantly. So uh, I definitely needed to needed to put him in the credits, even though he doesn't really do much in this movie. But he's just oh, there's no, that it's face. a small role, but yeah, he's 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 good in small doses. So I think my favorite is when he was in the Lost World Jurassic Park. I want oh, to buck the big one, right? That <laughs> <laughs> uh, my man came in there determined Let's get this to kill feast on the road, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we're about to get into this guy in the trivia, but uh, let's talk about the director. All right, this was directed by David Fincher. It was his first major motion picture. Uh, he went on to direct seven 
Gone Girl, Panic Room, The Social Network, uh, Fight Club. I mean, there's David Fincher, like just a fantastic director. Right. And here's the thing. This movie is kind of an anomaly when you look at his whole body work. Like even if you look at some of the less esteemed movies that he made since he made Alien 3, those movies are still regarded as really good movies. So when you look at it, all of the movies that he's done, it's like, how, how did Alien 3 came so bad? A lot of people would say that it's because he was a first-time director. But this is the classic example of studio interference that has happened. Yes. Yeah. So I, um, I definitely believe that. I'm, I'm glad it didn't destroy his career because you can see, you can see David Fincher in this movie. You can see the director he will become, even with all the interference. There's so much Fincher style in this film. And I definitely look forward to talking about that. Absolutely. Um, also, this, this movie was written by Dan O'Bannon, Ronald Shusett. And Vincent Ward. So O'Bannon, he's given credit because, uh, hold on, am I saying this right? I think he was the yeah. one that that did the um, what's he call it? Wrote the original Alien movies, so he's always yeah. going to get credit. He did the original Alien movie, right? Yeah. But outside of the Alien movies, he also did Heavy Metal, Dean, and Dead and Buried. Oh God, totally. Or oh, is that Dean and Buried? I, I don't <laughs> even know anymore. And, and Invaders from Mars. Um, also, we yeah. have. Shuset, he wrote W and The Final Terror and Free Jack. And then Ward wrote A State of Siege and Virgil and Map of the Human Heart. Now, I haven't seen any of these movies, although I'm, I haven't seen any of those. Right. Yeah. I'm curious about Free Jack. I've always been curious about Free oh, Jack. Oh, Free Jack is good. I've seen Free Jack. I haven't seen any of Ward's stuff. But right, right, right. I've seen, uh, yeah, I love Free Jack. Right. But, and that was written by um, Ronald Shuset. So I, yeah. I really don't have anything to go by as far as the quality of their writing. Um, but I don't think that the failure of this movie has anything to do with them. I'm pretty sure that there have been a dozen other writers uncredited <laughs> that had their hands <laughs> on trying to put this movie together. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and the music for the film was composed by Elliot Goldenthal, who is composed for A Time to Kill, Michael Collins, Batman and Robin, Titus and Heat. And man, that is a range. That is a lot of different types of movies he's composed composed music for. Right. Um, Heat, obviously, man. The, I I definitely like his composing style because if you take his music out of Heat, it's still a great movie, but it's not as great a movie as it turned out to be. And what's also interesting is that it music and music composition in movies is one of the things that can't miss it's like it's almost guaranteed it's like you can have a totally messed up movie but as far as when we're talking about the composer and music composition they usually get somebody who is at least confident and this guy elliot he he knocked it out of the part I, I think he has a bright career ahead of him if he isn't already dead i don't think he's dead i didn't check but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah he's, he's done some great work and I really enjoyed the soundtrack for this movie. I listened to it the other day and I was like, yeah, yeah, it works. <laughs> yeah. You know that a soundtrack works when it sounds good outside of the context of the movie. Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's it for the opening credits. If you're enjoying the show, you can get t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, face masks, jerseys, and more at our website, backlickcinema.com slash shop. 
I'm going to be uh, putting out some new designs soon, some Christmas designs. So look out for those. Uh, you know, maybe I should put a newsletter to let people know when there are new designs. I should, I should do something different. <laughs> <laughs> Get the word out. So yeah, check it out. I mean, yeah, they're pretty fun to have, be able to reach out to a lot of people easily that way. Right, uh, right, right. So now we're going on to our next segment. We're going to talk about our top five favorite parts. So uh, why don't you get us started? Let us know what one of your favorite parts of the movie was. It could be the actor. It could be a scene. It could be a line of dialogue. What are we going with? I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with the opening credits. And this is where, especially I think you can see the director that Fincher will become, because if you take just the opening credits to this film, watch them, then watch the opening credits to seven and maybe swap the music on both of them, put closer by nine inch nails over these opening credits. It is, it is so Fincher. It is the same opening credit sequence, the, the extreme close-ups, the, the flashes of gore of, you know, like slow on things like writing in the notebook in seven or the acid dissolving the glass in this. And then quick flashes of blood soaking some piece of cloth in this. We don't even know what's happening there. And then quick flashes in, in uh, seven. I just love seeing like this, this guy had his style established before he got big and he has stuck with it and it works. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously in cutting his teeth on, directing numerous music videos he's able to experiment with styles and then work with stuff he likes and this is someone who's been planning on like he's been positioning his his whole life on trying to direct a feature film one day and he had he knew exactly what he wanted to do when he had an opportunity to direct his movies so yeah i um i do like uh i didn't really denote it as the opening credit just the whole the crash and rescue that the beginning of the movie where you see uh flashes of Ellen Whipley in the sleeping pod. And then you see like uh, the sleeping pod of the the other people who would hopefully be rescued. Turned out they're not going to be rescued. <laughs> <laughs> the, the crash itself, the prisons, pr- the prisoners getting together to salvage mm-hmm. the pod. So all of that w- was pretty great. It, it really kind of like set you up for uh, an, an anticipation of what was going to happen uh, with a little bit yeah. of tension, because I think, at this point, when they're rescuing the thing, you kind of knew that it was a prison colony. So, yeah, there, there was a lot going on, and it it seemed to promise a greater story. Uh, so I did enjoy that. What else yeah. you got? Uh, I really like that. I mean, the, you know, Ellen Ripley is one of the greatest action heroes for, uh, for of all time in cinema. She is probably, you know, in the... Well, she's definitely in the top 10 of like our lifetimes and probably sadly the only woman on that list if if a bunch of people voted on it. But this this movie in in 2023 context, the prisoners and the warden set very clear boundaries and she just tramples all over those boundaries. They say, please stay away from us. Please don't wander around the prison. Please just hang out in the infirmary. We really do not want you. Like, we we have decided on this way of life. And this is kind of our planet. So we're just asking you for a few days. And it's like, man, Ripley really does not 
uh, respect uh, consent and and boundaries in right. a lot of this movie. And while I know that that can be seen and not I'm not going to invalidate the fact of like, well, you know, she doesn't need to ask permission to exist. It's like. Yeah, but it's just a few days. I'm not saying the outcome would have been any different. Right, they're they're right, all right. dead the minute that ship landed on the planet. Right. But it's a very to look at it through through thirty year old you know older eyes like man Ripley, you, you they'll help you if you ask them and if you just respect the boundaries they're setting. I, I'll say what you won't say, Ripley. You're kind of being an asshole at this point. Yeah, are, yeah. <laughs> are you the asshole? Yes, you're the asshole a little bit. They, it's not like they they are are mad because you're on the planet. They know that. It's basically you're an outsider and your very presence is is messing with their harmony that they've been able to build, right? Because it's like they've accepted that they're prisoners. They've accepted that they're never going to go back to Earth and see their families again. And they've yeah. built a family amongst themselves. And your presence, like being a woman, being an object of desire and not and some of them not being able to control themselves, it, you're kind of ruining the whole vibe we've got here. Right. <laughs> so, right. It's like, yeah, just... should they, yeah, it's like, should they control themselves? Is it her responsibility for them? No, but they are asking you to just stay out of the way. Right, like, right, right. They didn't say, please walk around and do whatever you want and and then attack her. They're like, no, please stay the hell away from right. us. And it's like, no, they, you know, she, she, she doesn't, I don't know. I, 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 but also honestly, Clemens kind of doesn't respect that either. Right. And that right. surprises that, me a little bit for right. As he good does, a character he, as he is. That's true. And um, also kind of confusing that almost as soon as she get down there, she's about as DTF as they are. So it's like, that I, that has got to be a studio <laughs> interference thing. It's like, who, who thought Ellen Ripley would like, th- I'm not saying that she's not allowed to have, you know, sexual desires like everybody else is like, she absolutely is. But uh Man, that was a choice, and that sure doesn't feel. I'm I'm curious what which of the nine writers on this film <laughs> put that in and and made it through the screen. It's like right. I, it, I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't make sense considering all of the trauma that she had to go through. It's like she had the the trauma of I can like if they were ever going to do something like that, it would have been in the first film, and it was almost in the first film. But mm-hmm. they decided not to do it, probably due to pacing issues or whatever. They decided not to put that in the in the first film. It was, you know, they considered having her having a relationship with the captain, and they kind of put that in there because there was a, a yep. scene yeah. she and where Dallas it's are like flirting, kind of right. And, They're kind of flirting, yeah. and the, the, she has like an argument with the captain, and then he starts to leave, and then she closes the door him so that he couldn't leave, and uh, there was a sort of sexual tension there, so. If it was going to happen, it's going to happen in that movie. It's not, you don't really see that happening in the second movie unless it's happening with, um, what you call it, with w- when she's yeah. at home. Like when she's at, oh, her, yeah, yeah. at yeah. home before she goes out, you can see it happening at that time, but not really because she's still kind of traumatized. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, it is, it is the, like the post trauma response, like the, you know, the, you know, fight, flight flee or fuck it's like right 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 if you have to bleep that out but but it's like she did just help you know just lose an entire like an entire 
uh, Marine contingent, her <laughs> her new surrogate daughter, the second daughter she's lost now right, in three right. movies. And I was like, I get that, but it's not played off like a release of tension. It's it's not it's it really is just kind of like they're having a conversation and then she's like, do you want to have sex? Right. And <laughs> she and Charles Dance are very charismatic performers and they do the best they can. The The after talk, I think, is a beautiful after conversation for a, for a sexual scene like that. But man, they just they really shoehorned it in there. Yeah, and like, yeah, you could have done this a lot more subtly, guys. Right, like, you right, could have right. had given us the the pent up tension and needing a release yeah, yeah or just yeah. the the actual desire i don't know yeah it felt awkward it's like yeah. it's it ripley asked for sex the same way a man would so well <laughs> and and i mean you know that's that's her prerogative and obviously clemens was was down for it but it, it's yeah it's like man i guess i think what confuses me more than just the straight up asking for sex is like why are you avoiding telling these guys what happened that was that was the other thing i was gonna bring up yeah that didn't make any sense why why are you being so coy uh ripley what what? why are we not telling them that there's a you think that there's a ain't dangerous beat they don't want you there anyway so it's not like you're fighting for credibility or anything like that it's like tell them in the last film you yelled at the ceo of the company telling them to nuke a planet and now you're like i don't want to tell these prisoners man that'd be a little too much information right 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 it's like oh I, i might cause a panic it's they're in prison. It's too late at this point. They are already panicking. Right, like, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like people start dying and she knows why they're dying, but she's not saying anything. And she's going to wait all the way until it's like it's too late. Now the alien eats her boyfriend right at the uh, right in front of her face. And that's another one of my favorite oh, parts. It's a great kill. Uh, uh, yeah. So they're pure just, horror movie like that 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 is one of the main like this is absolutely a horror movie i think more than aliens was and obviously alien the first one is a horror movie but this one returns to that right and it like just as a horror movie it does those moments very well right it's almost as good as um when samuel jackson got eight and what's it called coat Blue Sea, I think that's what it's called. Oh, Deep Blue Sea. Deep Blue Sea, (laughs) right, right. Almost as good as that one. I'm not going to die down here. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so that that was uh, a good part. That that was a good kill, I should say. Uh, This also was, uh, I think I'll probably end up mentioning this in the trivia, but it's the first movie where you actually see the alien eat the people like eat the people it's yeah, not like that, just suggested it's like he's chomping this alien is out of control right, man. right this right. alien is i'm not quite sure what what his you know his for for gendering terms like whatever what its goal is like are you what do you do with these guys because you eat like 20 percent of them and we never see cocooning we never see See the aliens endgame. It is just in a frenzy, in a kill frenzy, which is also something new for the uh, for the franchise. Well, I haven't read any of the extra media surrounding the aliens, but it's obvious that they're they're kind of like a hive type of colony. It's like they mm-hmm. they work for a queen. 
for the most part. But outside of that context, if they if they can't go and grab people and take them to the queen's chamber, then they're just going to grab people and eat them. I think that's because in the first movie, that's all the, the alien went, grabbed people and ate them. That's and true. Apparently, yeah. they grow extremely fast. They must have extremely fast metabolism because they grow from like an infant alien to a full adult alien in just a couple of hours. Just the amount of oh, heat yeah. that generates must be enormous. Like. <laughs> Yeah, that, a lot of calories, <laughs> definitely a lot of inconsistency throughout the franchise. Like, right. how long does this take? Because it's in this one, it's minutes. Yeah. In, yeah. in uh, I mean, in the first one, I think it's, what, a couple of days? Yeah, it's it's all over the place. Right. But it's constantly molting, constantly, which I like that they showed in this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I'll make that my my third point. I like the alien effect. I'm, I... I know there are points where you can see the the merging of the puppet with the with the rest of the film that looks a little bit fake or digital or whatnot. But overall, I like that they they knew that it wasn't perfect, so they don't actually show you a bunch of full shots of the alien after its birthing scene. It's definitely very, very in the shadows. Right, right. It was smart, and that just adds to the like the horror context of it it's yeah it's the kind of in the shadows it, it doesn't uh it do, it doesn't really show itself it's it's a it's a very much a stealth killer and uh the best version of this uh that i've seen recently was in aliens where the marines are in the cavern and they're looking for the aliens like it, it's on my motion detector it's it's swarming all over i can see yeah. it but they couldn't see oh, it with that, their eyes yeah. and then behind one of the marines you see like the wall moving, and then re- you realize it's not a wall; it's the alien lifting up his head <laughs> to look at the marine. Oh yeah, <laughs> so, it's like it's they're moving all around us. Yeah, it's right, right, right. So so tension building. Cameron was really good at that. Yeah, yeah, that that was good. So another part I liked was the. Uh, so this is the part that kind of lived with me through, like my whole life, because it's like I. Alien 3 was not one of my favorite movies. That where this is kind of this movie is kind of a departure from most of the other movies that I do on this show. So normally it's a movie where it's like it's it's my favorite movie unequivocated. It's like one of my favorite movies of all time. So that's what I'm going through. But Aliens or well, Alien 3, I can't really count upon among that number. But still, even though it's not one of my favorite movies. This particular line just sticks out to me because I, I loved everything about it. So this scene is when uh, Alien, uh, not Alien, but Ripley is trapped with these convicts. These convicts are going to rape her and beat her up. And then she's rescued by Dylan. And he starts beating one of them with like a, a stick or a crowbar or something like that. And he tells Ripley, take off. I got to reeducate some of the brothers. <laughs> I just <laughs> love that part. I love that part. I love that line. And then just like before she leaves, she hits one of the prisoners in the face. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like that's Ripley. That, right. 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 Yeah. No. And, and yeah. And another, I think, because that is, that's one of the moments. Uh, and Fincher's really good at this. Um, several times throughout the scene, this film, we get a heavy buildup of tension or fear. You know, they're about to rape her, and then Dutton comes in, helps rescue her. She helps fight them off, and he gives that line to give us the the, the release, the com- a little bit of comedy. That's the same as she's in the in the 
uh, medical bay and her boyfriend gets eaten and then she runs down and she's yelling at the warden and then he just gets grabbed and like yeah. that's the comedy <laughs> like like fincher is very good at the i'm gonna give you the tension and then i'm gonna give you a minute to laugh right. and then we're gonna get right back into the tension too he's really good at balancing that and apparently always has been because he was doing it in this film and i think he does it well right right so yeah. um what's another one of your favorite parts uh, I love how lived in this planet feels like we get the backstory. These guys technically aren't even prisoners anymore. Like they still run with a warden and with a staff with 85 and Clemens, but they have all, they basically run the planet now. You know, the inmates run the asylum, but they do it because they know they, they, there's nowhere else for them that they will feel like they fit in. And so I love with with Gallic the the showing us how Gallic gets blamed for the murders and how he gets you know bathed in blood and somewhat traumatized somewhat like deifies the alien the dragon um these guys are exploring this planet they're like we need to know how big this you know like i don't know let's go find out what this whole planet is and see if there's you know apparently they're hunting for like supplies just seeing if there's anything left behind in these in these abandoned corridors but it's a really just like, hey, we're trying to work together. We're trying to make this work. And and just ship crashes and just ruins everything. Right. And uh, it's funny because they another reason that they choose to remain there is that they know that they're horrible people and they don't trust mm-hmm. themselves outside in civilized society. So yeah. they choose to remain there because that they know that they can function there. It's almost like... Uh, the type of person who's like been incarcerated and then they'll go and break a window so that they can get themselves thrown back in jail because they don't feel like they can function in real life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the whole institutionalized thing from, uh, from Shawshank Redemption. It's like, this is what I know. And this is the only place where I've found peace. Right. So can I stay? Right. And right. Right. I, yeah. Right. Yeah, that was the whole thing in that in that movie, uh, sidebar, uh, for Shawshank Redemption, where you had this one character and he was fighting because he didn't want to be released. He was in jail yeah. fighting. He was trying to kill one of his fellow prisoners because he thought if he killed that dude, then they would revoke his his. They uh, let him stay. Yeah, they yeah, let him like, stay in prison. It's right? his whole he adult life. Of, it's right, all he right. knows. Yeah. yeah. So back back on track with the the conversation. Yeah. Another. <laughs> Another part of my favorite, one of my favorite parts was, uh, so I'm trying to figure out which one should I, I'll, I'll do the Bishop dialogue. So when she reacts, okay. when she reactivates the Bishop Android. So that part was cool. That's another part that had stuck with mm-hmm. me over the years. I love that part. I love that she had basically rescued the, the remains of Bishop was basically just his head and she started getting tools and it looked like something that was a box that was created in the 1950s and she just starts sticking oh yeah like old school oscilloscope (laughs) type thing yeah (laughs) i just there's something about that that i absolutely loved and see she starts sticking in the remains of the android and then uh so bishop he's able to come online a little bit and then uh you know he gives her the information that she wanted to know she, you know, she wanted to know what caused the crash and everything. And she wanted to know if there's an alien still on the ship. And he confirmed that there was an alien on the ship. And then the last part he said was, you know, I, he said, I know they think it probably reworked me, 
but I'll never be part of the top of the line again. So if you could just unplug me, right? <laughs> yeah. And then <laughs> I know, right? Vanity much? Come yeah. on, Bishop. <laughs> and then there's like the 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 effects on there, the um the makeup effects. I, I think it was a robot. Uh so yeah, I think they were the animatronic robot effect for that. was, was yeah. pretty awesome. He had that so goo board good. on him. Right. Yeah. Uh and it, yeah. it just looked visceral and real and and honest so i really enjoyed that uh and and with that of like her knowing how to do that it's like yes we have we established it in aliens we established it in alien like ripley is a blue collar worker she is a she is a long haul trucker and then she is a dock loader in aliens and it's like yes she would know how to do this electronics work like right, she has right, had right. to repair equipment herself before even after 57 years in hypersleep. It's like, yeah, androids, they didn't change them that much. Oh, and also, so. she did She did that in the original Alien. She did that with Ian, or Ian, or however you say that. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. It's right. Like, this so, is, yeah, an established thing. Like, this is great. It's right, great. Right, she's, right. she's our blue-collar action here. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and I th- the, the fifth thing I picked, uh, like I was talking about with 85, the scene when she goes back to get her medical scan, um, his performance in that scene, like her, the heartbreak she's feeling, he, he matches it with playing so well. It's like, I don't quite understand this, but at the same time, it's like, he, he knows like, oh no, oh, this poor woman has a monster inside of her. And just, just that little scene between those two, I'm like, man, this guy, like he could have been just the sort of the uh I can't remember the lieutenant's name from Aliens, Gorman. You know, he could have kind of been a, a Gorman type where nobody likes him, everybody's always down on him, making fun of him. He he gets knocked out early, finally has his hero moment. This guy is just like, I'm doing my best here, man. And I <laughs> right, really right, right. really appreciate how well that scene is played when it could have very well been played as like a, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. Please help me Ripley kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, he, uh, it, I, I think it's a, an intense scene. And I think it really helps again, show like, yeah, every prisoner on this planet, these are real characters. These are people, these aren't just background for Ellen Ripley to fight an alien with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I love that scene as well. I liked it. The main part about that scene where he was like, I don't, I don't want to tell you. I don't want to show you. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, and it's like, that's a very, like, I believe that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, this, this it's is like, bad. It's like, yeah. He's like, he's, oh no, this he is, has. This is yeah. worse. This is worse than what you think. It reminds me of like when I was in a hospital one time and I had, I needed to get like an anesthetic or needles. They wanted to put a needle in my arm. And I wanted to see the doctor put the needle on my arm because cause that I guess that was like maybe fifteen, sixteen, something like that. I I I needed to see it because um I felt most comfortable looking at him sticking me with the needle. But the nurse wouldn't mm. let me look. So she she <laughs> held my head away from the doctor. Like you don't want to see this, you don't want to see this. So instead of being able to look at the doctor, anticipate him sticking me, I I, I I'm looking away and I'm feeling it uh it, uh without being able to see it. So that was, yeah. I don't know if that was traumatizing. Annoying was probably the most accurate <laughs> answer. But that's what that scene reminds and, me of, a, a moment from yeah. my childhood. <laughs> yeah, it's like trying to protect you. And I bet, I mean, I get that 
with you, with that happening with you, I don't think I've ever seen anything that you cannot predict how somebody will react than blood or medical work happening on somebody. I, happening on yourself is one thing, but man, the reactions to happening, seeing it happen to other people, like I've had friends who started to get woozy when they're there with me while I'm giving blood. Like I'm just <laughs> donating blood. You're not doing anything. <laughs> Why are you getting woozy? Like blood is a is a very visceral thing and humans like you cannot predict how you're going to react to it. Right, right, so, right. Yeah. So um the last one I have, uh, my fifth favorite part is Basically, the whole end of the movie, Ripley's Sacrifice, they kind of uh, did something different. They didn't have a countdown with the thing blowing up. They didn't do it this time. Mm-hmm. But they, they had to make a trap for the alien. The trap works. So it's um, basically, uh, it's Ripley and Dylan fight for who's going to sacrifice themselves for the alien, right? Because <laughs> one of them had to stay down as bait. And uh, at first, it was going to be Ripley. And then... Basically, Dylan forces her to save herself. And it wasn't like the alien was primed to attack Ripley anyway, because Ripley is carrying the queen. Ripley has the queen alien growing in her body. This is why she wasn't attacked earlier. And why the alien is uh, avoiding any confrontation with her. Almost protecting her. Yeah, protecting her. Get into the trap finally. Kind of smiling at her at times, (laughs) just kind of winking at her if he had eyes. Yep, Yep, exactly. So, so, um, Dylan forces her to leave and she starts climbing out of this pit where they're anticipating pouring molten lead. And Dylan realizes that he's not escaping. So he's he's basically allowing the alien to attack him. Then he's going to hold on to the alien while he's being bitten by the alien. And it was like, oh, come man. on. Is that Hero all you got? Moment. Is that all yeah. you got? Man, <laughs> this dude is awesome. Go down shooting. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> right, right, right. And then they poured him over the lid. Yeah. I, I thought that whole sequence was really good. Um, the stuff that preceded that sequence was not my favorite part with the alien chasing down the hallways. Cause you kind of get lost in the mm. narrative as to what is happening. Uh, you don't even yeah. really fully yeah. know the plan of what they were doing is like what they're talking about. You start getting lost a little bit. And I think that was one of the problems with the story. But when they finally got to, when they finally trapped the alien and they were going to pour the lead and, and that whole sequence, that was pretty good. And then uh, with, at the same time, you see the company, the ship is coming to, the planet side note you notice that the company ship well you you get the feeling that the people at babylon 5 kind of copy (laughs) yes alien you kind of notice that right i think the b5 ships are a lot larger and they added like a a a turn thing for artificial gravity but it Mm -hmm. they look like uh i was like oh wait a minute because i don't want to say that aliens copy from b5 because that's impossible but what i can say is that b5 definitely took inspirations from aliens so i i, I agree like looking at that i was like it kind of looks like that right five. right yeah. right right <laughs> so um you see the company ship coming and then it juxtaposes with the prisoners and ellen trying to deal with the alien to the people from the company walking onto the the prison uh platform and then going into the depths of the station looking for uh ellen and trying to you know, transfer her to the company or whatever. 
So that was all cool. But then you yeah. finally get to the end where she confronts the human bishop that created the Bishop series robots. And he's like, you know, the company sent me here to give you a friendly face. And I'm thinking to myself, why would he know that he was the friendly face? I guess maybe they got their her recording or something about how Bishop yeah, saved like, the did day. Did she give her a really good journal entry about <laughs> yeah. how cool she thought Bishop was before she went to sleep? That must be it. <laughs> and then, um, what you call it? So they um so before that happens it's well actually or during that time some, somewhere around that time so the alien is like is it they think the alien's dead everybody's cheering it's a fake out the alien comes out of the hot molten lead just crazy and you know still a lot still now is mad enough at ripley to want to attack her like i don't care about the yeah. queen i'm going to kill you now because you had all this hot liquid lead poured on me yeah and then the like, guy screams. i'm guessing it's slowly cooking while it's while yeah. it, you know it's, it's <laughs> probably i think it's gonna die either way but, right man. right yeah. and then I, th- I think the alien is like i'm taking you with me and then yep. the guy's like he, he he's he's hot he's hot pour activate the sprinklers and the alien turns on the sprinklers and the alien explodes uh miraculously uh, I, I guess the heat had neutralized the acid blood because nobody is crying over being uh yeah no <laughs> nobody gets sprayed with any acid yeah. and I, nobody- I do like the uh <clears throat> i like that they had at least shown us the bucket popping open when the water hit it after the the um fire disaster right. earlier in the film it's like okay they gave us at least they gave us the foreshadowing there set up that like this is going to be important that you guys need to see this um but yeah it's like well all right alien like no acid reaction so yeah i wonder right. if heat is just is is the great neutralizer like you said right uh that's that's what i'm going to i'm going to go with I, i'm creating fan fiction right now that heat has sometimes <laughs> extreme heat has somehow <laughs> neutralized the alien acid blood because yeah. it explodes everybody should have been sprayed with acid and and been like ouch that hurt or something like that yeah. but nobody did <laughs> also uh, this lead poisoning is pretty rough right but, yeah. right right <laughs> but i do appreciate how they solve the the death fake out issue that that was pretty cool mm-hmm. and yeah. and going back to, yeah. to bishop you know she uh ellen confronts bishop and it's like she knows that the company is no good so she does the sacrifice where she does a swan dive into the molten lead just as the alien queen like bursts out of her stomach, she holds on to it on her way down to the molten lava. So that, yeah, that yeah, was cradling awesome. it to her breath. You know, again, a, another, I mean, it's like these, these movies are about motherhood and birth again and again and again. And, and, and obviously, you know, not, not even subtly, not a metaphor. It's like, yeah, this is pretty in your face. And we get it again with the ending of this. I love the, the conversation with Bishop that one moment when he's like trying to be calming and he's like, no, we want to help you. We want to, and he does this hand motion, take it out of you. And that, that like <laughs> slowly grasping fist is like, oh, so evil. And everybody right. knows it's so evil. Like, and, and Lance Hendrickson did it perfectly. Right. Like, no, I'm being calm while I make one of the most threatening gestures you could make. Right. <laughs> also, uh, when I add this, um, this was, this movie was an absolute tragedy because this is where this is what Ellen feared the entire time. Like uh, she had nightmares about it, about giving birth to an alien. 
This is mm-hmm. the only reason why she even went back out into space because she believed that going back out into space would stop these nightmares because then she could she could stop these nightmare aliens and then stop the nightmare of an alien bursting from her chest and, and abdomen. She like because that was one of the driving things about her even going back into space to, in the first place. And then yeah. it yeah. Alien 3 opens. And this is one of the things that I hated about this movie. <laughs> is that they <laughs> killed off the little girl and they yeah. killed off the, the Marine. Hicks I'm and like, Newt, that was... Oh, like, oh, no. Why? They they killed him off, like, in the beginning and, like, unceremoniously. I was like, ah. Oh. I was yeah, so no, mad like, at that. I was, it, yeah, I was no more mad at that. Yeah, there's no around that. Right? Yeah. I was, was more mad bad, at that. bad, call. <laughs> I was more mad at that than anything else in this movie. <laughs> and that's... <laughs> but it's like, so when I watched it this time, I said, I think I can get over it. Like, I can get over it because I recognize it's, it's a tragedy and then it kind of focuses on Ripley. I think that was the purpose of the movie is to refocus it on on Ripley. And I guess that's why they felt like they had those two characters to die. But Newt was one of my favorite characters in cinema. So the fact that they killed her off was I was just really heartbroken about that. And but yeah, uh yeah. the sacrifice uh that Ripley did was really new. It kind of throws the final goal trope on its head where the final girl doesn't actually survive. The final girl sacrifices herself in order to protect Basically humanity, right? All of humanity, yep. not just her friends and family, not just the prisoners. She doesn't know any of these people, but just to protect humanity from the alien threat, she sacrifices herself. And that that works pretty good. I, I enjoyed that. So yeah. um, ultimately- And then, then comes the least believable part of the whole movie. Morse is the only prisoner left standing. It's like, you know, in real life- any corporation is just gonna be like, just shoot that guy. Just, <laughs> right, just, right, let's right, go. Right. <laughs> just shoot him, <laughs> knock him into the lead, and let's go. Like, <laughs> not, we're not gonna patch him up and walk him out of there in cuffs. It's like, come on, he's dead. I guess that that corporation is not as callous as you know as whatever. Uh, apparently, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they they have some semblance of humanity uh, in them, but. Yeah, I think I've I've got over most of that. And I think what saves this movie it is Ellen's sacrifice at the end of the movie, which is crazy mm. because you're thinking that the studio is expecting to make Alien 3. So, and they sacrifice the main character. So that's actually a brave move on the studio's part because you know that the studio, like I said, was interfering, right? Yeah. <laughs> they interfered a lot. So uh, do you yeah, have any- and then- Anything else that you wanted to add about your favorite parts or parts that you didn't like or or anything like that? No, I just, I think it is, I think it's an underrated movie. It's by no means a great or perfect movie, but I I think that there are, looking back on it again, and it's been about 10 years since I watched it last, but it's always been a very memorable movie for me. And uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed talking about it with you. That's awesome. Do you, are you familiar with the, uh, I forgot, I think they're calling it the assembly cut or the special edition cut. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. I've never yeah. watched it. Curious about it. I might go ahead and give that a try. Um, I Because I saw when I was, I was trying to come contemplating whether I should rent this movie or whether I should buy this movie. Because I ended oh, up yeah. buying uh, Alien and Aliens because they were rather cheap. But Alien 3 is like $14.99. And I was like, 14, oh. yeah. You can and like I was looking online, like I can get all four movies Blu-ray with downloads for like nineteen bucks. Right, just do that. So yeah, yeah. I I couldn't figure out why the worst Alien movie is fourteen (laughs) ninety nine. 
it's very strange because <laughs> right. I was looking the same thing like, oh, should like I I know I have the like 2004 quadrilogy DVD box somewhere. I couldn't find it. So I, I ended up renting and I was surprised. It's like, oh, yeah, this is a theatrical version because I I have watched other cuts. I don't know if I've seen the assembly cut, but when where it's an ox instead of a dog and, yeah, and yeah, yeah, there's yeah, yeah. some extra scenes i really there's an extra shot in the bishop confrontation at the end where after uh 85 hits him he's like grabbing his ear showing any amount of pain to the head wound he just suffered which he doesn't do in the theatrical version and he's like he's screaming like i'm not an android and, and <laughs> there's actual blood coming out and but yeah there there are i do I don't know if I've actually seen the assembly or just some deleted scenes. I'll have to, uh, I'll have to go back and refresh myself. Well, you, you may have seen it. They may have just changed the name because they, they wanted Fincher to be a part of it. And, uh, he didn't want to, and he didn't want it to be called the director's cut, but we'll be going over that in a minute. So, um, that's it for our favorite parts. So we are going to switch over to the trivia. found um the 10 most interesting trivia uh thing of the bobs that i could find on the interwebs mostly from imdb so and it was an interesting hunt because this had a lot of there was a lot of trauma around the making of this film and, and yeah. we've alluded to this as we've been talking about it but john won't you why don't you start us off all right First-time director David Fincher disowned this film, stating in an interview with The Guardian, I had to work on it for two years, got fired off it three times, and I had to fight for every single thing. No one hated it more than me. To this day, no one hates it more than me. He cited constant studio interference during production and actually walked out when the studio rejected his initial cut and ordered extensive reshoots. He was not involved in the final cut, but his initial rough cut later became the basis for the assembly cut, a longer version of the movie released on DVD in 2003 and on Blu-ray in 2010. So I must have seen the assembly cut. Uh, Although Fincher was asked to work on this assembly cut, he considered it, but eventually decided against it, giving supervising producer Charles D. Lazarica his blessing as long as it was not called the director's cut. With regards to the new version itself, he stated that he has no comments on it as he has never seen it. Right. It's like, nope, don't ask me about it. I'm done with that movie. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Man, that's fair. Absolutely fair. I know. I got paid. It sucked. I'm done. (laughs) Right, right, right. So at one point, Fincher was denied permission by the film's producer to shoot a crucial scene in the infirmary between Ripley and the alien, where the latter menacingly closes in on Ripley. Against orders, Fincher grabbed Sigourney Weaver, a camera, and shot the scene anyway. This scene not only appears in the final cut, but also featured prominently in trailers and many regarded as the movie's most iconic shot like see student interference you sometimes you have to lie and cheat and steal to do something that you know is right i mean that shot is like of all the alien movies all of them combined that is in the top three shots that is up there with stay away from her you bitch and the chest burst, you know, the the bursting scene from the first film, like those three, those are the three shots that define 
I think the entire franchise and like you had to steal that shot. And right. Yeah, it was right. in every trailer. I remember that. And audience, if you don't, uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, that's when uh, the alien is, is like a close up of, of Ripley's head and she's, she can't move away from the alien anymore. Yeah, she's she's against, against the, the wall. wall. And she's, yeah. she's like, squinching away from the alien is getting closer and closer it opens his jaw and then the tiny jaw comes out and gets closer oh man yeah <laughs> and then there's slime it's everywhere so, it's just yeah. absolutely slimy yeah that's the tar- that's the part we're talking about okay yeah. carry on john <laughs> all right the film's production process was so chaotic and its reception by fans and critics so unfavorable that it nearly ended fincher's career before he ever had a chance to gain momentum as a director but two things ended up saving Fincher from the permanent movie jail. The first thing was that Sigourney Weaver publicly and often angrily sided with Fincher against 20th Century Fox, telling journalists that the studio had made decisions that resulted in an impossible situation for the young director and that he would have an excellent career if given further chances. The other thing was that the producer Arnold Copelson knew he and didn't respect the management of Fox, and that was part of the process where he ultimately offered Fincher a new project a few years later. That project was Seven, and its massive success reignited Fincher's career, making him one of the most respected directors of his time. Absolutely. I remember watching yeah. this, like watching movies back then, I didn't recognize or know a lot of director's work but i remember watching seven and thinking that was one of the best movies i've ever seen (laughs) (laughs) so good i mean i'm glad i didn't see it in theaters given how old i was but i wish i could have seen it in theaters i i don't honestly remember where i saw it it's one of those things where i was going to the movie because it had morgan freeman and brad pitt and then Mm -hmm. and then it was like I like suspense thrillers. You know, they're 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 pretty good. So I was like, eh, let me give this a chance. And I was like, oh my god, that movie was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, if you just just leave him alone, let it trust in him, then uh, you can get a great movie. And here's where I had alluded earlier. I don't know if I recorded this part, but this is where I was talking about how this kind of reminded me of Sylvester Stallone and uh, how, his kind of movie style. So. Like in Judge Dredd, Sylvester Stallone chose a director who was not like well-known, like kind of just starting out or hadn't really done a big budget production. And the reason Stallone chose this director is because he could control this director. He could tell the mm-hmm. director what to do. He could, If the director wanted something, Stallone could basically just ignore him because he was Stallone was the producer and the star. So it wasn't like the director really had any move any room to maneuver right so he basically had was at the beck and call of stallone and so i think that is the kind of the same way with alien 3 because you had uh ridley scott and alien you had james cameron and aliens these are both incredible directors and so you would think that they would follow it up by another incredible director and they didn't. Instead, they went with the. There, there were reasons why they couldn't get some of the directors that they wanted that we'll talk about later. But they ended up getting this brand new director for this multi-million-dollar motion picture, and that's just something that you just don't normally see. And I think the reason yeah. was that they wanted to control this director. They wanted basically a director in name only, and <laughs> somebody yeah. that they can bully and and push around and and make a movie that the studio wanted instead of allowing the director's vision to flourish. 
and then you pick David Fincher to be that. It's like <laughs> right, right, right. Talk about boneheaded decisions. <laughs> yeah, but see, they didn't. They didn't know. They didn't know David Fincher because it's like this is his first movie. So yep. they, they, they. I don't. I don't know what they were thinking. Right. Just for uh, that I think what it was is that they didn't trust his vision. They didn't trust that he could do a movie. So they basically saddled him with probably a producer or a writer that would basically do the project for him or, or kind of sit behind the scenes and kind of backseat drive the movie the whole time. <laughs> oh yeah. And, and the script, like the script was being rewritten all the time. Right. I, I don't know if it's right. one of the trivia's, but yeah, it's just like, man, at one point it was going to be set on a planet made entirely of wood run by monks. <laughs> like, which is like, that sounds really cool. But honestly, that sounds dumber than this one. So well, they do yeah. have some of the monk aspect because there's a religious yes. component to the prisoners. So yep. they kept yep. some of it. But and then there there are other versions that they were gonna do. They were gonna do a version. Well, we'll talk about it later, but there there are vastly different versions of what was going to be Alien Three before they picked the version that they went with. But a lot of that yeah. is just like the writers trying to figure out what they're gonna write. And later when a director comes in it's they basically didn't trust the director and tried to take the movie away from him and i think that they were partially successful <laughs> yeah so um all that being said let's go to the next bit <laughs> uh the damages inflicted on bishop were too severe to have lance henrickson work a prosthetic head while hiding under a table chair slash platform so the filmmakers ended up having the android being played by an android, a mechanical copy of <laughs> Hendrickson's likeness, was used in this movie's version of Bishop. At the time, it was one of the most sophisticated and state-of-the-art motion-controlled puppets ever used in a movie. And I got to say, as I said before, that was a fantastic puppet. Yeah, I think it holds up because... And it's it's easy enough to explain away like, well, it's all kind of jerky. It's like, yeah, it's a broken robot. Like right. Any right. anything that looks like it's a broken robot, <laughs> it is a broken robot. Right, so, right, right. Yeah. It's a can't miss situation. <clears throat> yeah, it, it could not go wrong. I think exactly. one of my favorite things about the, the uh, robot puppet was that there are certain times when it kind of turns its head and it's there's an eye that's not covered by skin and it kind of bulges yep. out. I was like, oh man, that's the masterful work right there. Oh yeah. So <laughs> such such good robotics work. I'm like, man. All right. And and knowing what we've got available these days, like, ah, oh, I wish more people use practical stuff. Well, here's the thing. Um, the problem with using CGI is that a lot of times they're not giving enough time or money. To, to work usually it's time and usually it's like when the director changes their minds like i want to i want a forest okay i changed my mind i want a swamp and now the the artists don't have enough time to work it out but when you give them enough time and money then it's absolutely beautiful so some examples yeah. are obviously avatar the way of order i didn't see it but i've heard a lot of nice things about it but i recently saw the creator have you seen that i have not seen the creator yet but the i've effects, heard it is gorgeous yeah, yeah. the effects are to use a Transformers term, Magnus Spectacular. So it's just, especially the androids. And it's like, even in the trailer, you can see it's like the androids like have a human head, but then in the back, they have all these robotic parts in the back. There's this huge- Okay, so like, sort of like a, uh, what's that other one? Um, with Dom Nog Leeson, and I don't know, I'm spacing on it, but uh, 
Yeah, so so I, I I didn't know that they had sort of similar effects that way. Yeah, so um, check well check at least out. check out the trailer and you'll see what I mean. Okay. And the effects look great. And it's like I it's not like I'm missing practical effects when I see great computer effects. When I see great computer yeah. effects, like, oh see, and when you do it right, nobody says that. Nobody says yep. that they miss practical effects when they see exactly great computer exactly. effects. When it is they, like it's possible to do it right. Right, it, right. Like right. you said, it takes time and it takes money. It's it's as if like if you had a practical effect and you say, okay, build me a wolfman and they build a wolfman. It's like okay, I changed my mind. I don't want a wolfman, I want a pig man. Well the pig man is going to look janky because then now the the, yeah. the effects department doesn't have enough time to make a proper looking uh pig man that you wanted you can't yep. keep changing your mind it, it's time and it's money you got to account for that so yeah. uh i think uh, hopefully the the people the filmmakers will recognize this <laughs> and, and i and think so like i yeah i did just see the uh five nights of freddy's movie and that those those costumes because i got to see the costumes in person at universal studios for awesome. their halloween horror nights it's like yep these things look good, as good in person as they did on film. Like they, they, they did good work with the practicality, and that movie is a mess. But I think it'll hold up because it looks really. It's a really pretty movie. Like, like yeah, the, the, it's. It it's made gorgeous. It made a bunch of money. Yeah. It made 130 or 180 million dollars in its first weekend. Yeah. It's like, oh my yeah. god, all that money for a mediocre movie. I mean, the, like. <sighs> I don't know if you've seen it or not, but, but listeners, if you haven't seen Five Nights at Freddy's, just be prepared for characters with the the most unpredictable mood swings happening all throughout the movie. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I didn't see it, but uh, former co-host, my son Zachary, he saw it because not that he's a huge Five Nights at Freddy's fan, but he is he is very much into video gaming. So if it's a game that he can't play, he'll watch Let's Plays or he'll be yeah. on Twitch. So he's very he's immersed enough into five nights of freddy to go want to watch that film so i'm not sure if he liked it or not but he's definitely one of the contributors to that massive box office haul nice yeah i mean hey good for you know i like blumhouse i like their business model i i'm I'm glad they i'm glad when they have a hit like that right absolutely yay for smaller studios (laughs) (laughs) as far as bigger studios $7 $7 million had been spent on sets that were never used thanks to ever-changing scripts before filming had even started. With deadline looming, whenever director David Fincher called writer Rex Pickett to discuss his progress on the script, he would let the phone ring twice, hang up, and call again so that Pickett knew it was Fincher and not the studio harassing him with more demands for changes. Kids, we used to not have texting. Just saying that. Oh, uh, not only did during, we not have yeah. texting, but we didn't have caller ID most yep. of the time. We didn't have uh, you when the phone ring. You had no idea who was calling. Yeah. Like you none. just had to pick it up and answer <laughs> yeah. and talk to somebody, or do what John just described. You had to have a code, like knock yep. three times and then wait and then knock again and then I'll open the door. You had to do that with telephones. <laughs> During filming, the script was still constantly being rewritten with new versions faxed to the studio on a near daily basis. Cast and crew often filmed a scene and learned the next day that it had already been scrapped. That had to be demoralizing. Yeah. Just, yeah. That's rough. Yeah, that is rough. And uh, I don't know who to blame when this. I think some of this falls on the studios and some of this probably falls on Fincher himself. But yeah, that that's kind of must. You go through all of that work and it's like, well. We're not using it. I was like, 
That, yeah. That's kind of messed up. <laughs> so while off the set, Sigourney Weaver had to wear wigs as her then 10-year-old daughter, Charlotte, didn't like to see her mother bald. And that's just sweet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like I mean it it has it has become, you know, I, I don't know, was G.I. Jane before this or after this, but I remember they made a huge deal of Demi Moore shaving her head, and then, you know, it's gone on. We've got Charlize Theron, we've got um um oh, what was uh, V for Vendetta. I'm by my spacing. Oh uh uh, uh Shoot, Natalie uh, Portman. I was about to say Princess like, Amidala. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> Queen, Queen Amidala. Yeah, Natalie Portman. Like, it's always <laughs> we always make a big deal about it in in just society as movie consumers. Like, oh, this this actress shaved her head, and right, right. It was. I remember for this, it was a big deal too yeah. that she shaved her head. Yeah, it um, was a big deal. I remember watching a, a segment on Entertainment Tonight about shaving her head for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you know, Entertainment Tonight, there's a lot more cool, like, messed up stuff happening behind the scenes. You should maybe report on that. But no, let's talk about shaving her head. Yeah. Uh, Michael Bean stated in an interview that he was deeply hurt that he wasn't asked to return as Corporal Dwayne Hicks, his character from Aliens. But even more so that the film opened with Hicks immediately being killed off after escaping with the other survivors at the end of the previous movie. He stated that he didn't mind Hicks dying per se, but objected to the careless way they did it. In this film, he therefore refused to the studio permission to use a dummy or of a corpse in his likeness, but allowed them to use his photograph. Apparently, Bean received more money for the use of this one image than for his entire role in Aliens. Good for him. Bean later stated that he, he had he had any idea of the kind of career Fincher would have, he might have been more accommodating in the hopes of getting a chance to work with him on a subsequent project. Carrie Henn, who played Newt, on the other hand, was more accepting of her character's death, simply stating, life goes on. Right. And <laughs> I mean, I got to say, like... I, I can understand Bean's regret there because Fincher does reuse a lot of a lot of performers. There's people in this who he used in, in several other films. It's like, ooh, man. Yeah. That has to again, the hindsight on that has right, to be right. really painful. And not only that, but it was kind of a misunderstanding. Like he had been told like you know how the scripts are always changing. So the way he was told that his character died in a movie was different from how it was actually shot, how, how they actually was going to have the character. Oh, uh, okay. So it was because of this, he was reacting to his misunderstanding of how Corporal Hicks dies, not the fact that Corporal Hicks died. So, ah, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it was a little bit tragic and it, he might've gone on to be in seven or something, but nope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lance, Henriksen only agreed to reprise his role as Bishop as a personal favor to Walter Hill. To this day, Henriksen has said that he dislikes the film for its nihilistic themes, although he had a lot of fun making it. I can imagine (laughs) that. I mean, all of the alien films have nihilistic themes. Like, these first three films, the one thing you never see is humans having the upper hand against the aliens. Like there is never a moment where it's like, Oh, we have this plan. It's like, Oh, we've got its back against the wall. We're going to, we're going to win and then get a rug pull. Like, no, 
you are all dead. You are all dead except one or two people. <laughs> I think like the, from the, the outgun. I think the main difference between Alien, well, Alien Three and and the previous Aliens is that it's kind. It starts off kind of hopeful, like in the first movie, you got some explorers. Well, not really explorers. You got some miners just doing the day to day, and it's like there's certain hope that they'll get back home and carry on with their lives. Uh, Ripley is hoping to get back and she can be with her daughter again. This is is a sense of uh optimism and hope kind of throughout the movies like even when the alien attacks there's a optimism and hope that somebody is gonna get that bonus man yeah, yeah and get that bonus absolutely <laughs> and then in the second movie there's a sort of optimism and hope that they can finally solve the alien problem by sending in the marines and the marines mm-hmm. are just you know just blow everything up or blow up all the aliens and you know the colony could live on with their lives they'll be rescued and alien and ellen ripley can go back home without having nightmares and you know continuing or not continuing on with her life so there there's you know a, a kind of hopefulness there but she goes to this prisoners They're, the prisoners have no hope of leaving this life that they had chosen for themselves so it's yeah. so it's like they're just kind of making out the best type of life they can and then there's an alien threat looming that ripley refuses to talk about and then until it's until it's too late and then uh the two of the characters from the previous films they or three of the characters from the previous film uh, they've been uh, basically killed off, uh, killed unceremoniously. Off, yeah, yeah, unceremoniously yeah. off screen. And then <clears throat> there's this also where Ripley kind of sacrifices herself at the end. So, and and the only person that kind of gets out of that scenario is uh, you know, just some prefunctory, right? Just just yep. some. Basically, and just an office worker because like most of, most of the prisoners, maybe one a couple of the other prisoners kind of uh, survived the alien attack. But it wasn't much of uh, you don't feel hopeful when you watch this film. There's no sense of oh, when they leave, they get to go on to a better life. Like nobody goes on to a better life. No, no. <laughs> Corporate is just like oh, darn. Yeah, All right, yeah. Shut it yeah. down. And let's go home. Turn off the lights. Right, right, right. Absolutely. So um, (laughs) that's another thing. All the closing shots of them shutting the whole place down, like everything's neatly put away. Like that's not how anybody (laughs) shuts a place down. They just walk out and turn off the lights. (laughs) Right, right, right. It's it's like they're leaving to uh, go on vacation. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like wow, this corporation is very fastidious about this. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Although the alien that hatched from the dog was a rod puppet. Early film tests used an actual dog in an alien costume. The dog was a whippet owned by one of the special effects people, which was used to be dressed up in a suit and muzzle. However, the special effects team thought the dog's movements made the alien look rather comical, so the idea was scrapped in favor of a puppet. <laughs> I would, I would, I think there's footage somewhere of those of those tests with the dog. I've, I got to look it up and see, but. I can imagine that looked pretty funny. Right. Because the dog is trying to be cute. The dog is, is yeah. still cute. It's like, oh my God, it's still, Sit it's the cutest the little sits, thing. Yeah. Right, right, right. It's the And the dog is used to being cute. You just put this uh, fancy costume on. It's like, oh, it's Halloween. Okay, cool. Let's go trick-or-treating. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and it's like, man, I, I loved the idea that this movie introduced of whatever the face hugger implants the alien is somewhat based off of that host when it's, when it comes out, this is a more dog like alien. It's like, 
what what if a facehugger got on a dolphin? Like what like what how many different kinds of aliens could we have like depending on what type of animal it latches onto? Like right. that could be a giraffe alien, you know. Like <laughs> you could a have a lot of different alien. HR Geiger designs, yeah. Yeah, I I he must have a plethora of designs. He he must oh, have sure. had like a thousand alien designs, uh, all based on different types of species. So, um, moving right along, I think this is our last one. Making the convicts ball-headed due to a lice problem was David Fincher's idea. When he told Sigourney Weaver during, when he told Sigourney Weaver this during their first meeting, she immediately thought it was a great idea to be bald when fincher asked how she felt about shaving her head for the role she jokingly replied it's fine with me as long as i get more money so oh uh, yeah i like you gotta I like get that bonus great i mean come on yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good for her absolutely I mean, and like she's a woman in film, you know, like, she's going to be filming something else after this. Uh, she yeah. filmed something before this. It's like she's in demand. Uh, you can't be asking actresses to chop off their hair. It's like you got to you yeah. got to pay them more money. It's because it's like that's part of why they get hired is the face. Right. That's yeah. the whole it's point. Like this, yeah, it's like, yeah, my performance <laughs> is one thing, but you hire, like I am recognizable. That's why people come to see movies with me in them. So, yeah, that's fair. It, it reminds I hope me she did. I hope she got paid a lot. Yeah, me too. It reminds me of um I can't remember his name right now. He, he was in Machete, the famous Mexican actor. Oh, Danny Trejo? Yeah, Danny Trejo. He said that exact yeah. thing. He says, I don't he was he's being hired and he had all of these lines in the script and he was kind of nervous about it. And he had talked about it. And the guy couldn't understand why he was so nervous. And he said, You don't understand. They only hired me for the face. <laughs> 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 so uh that's fair yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely so that's it for the trivia and now we're going to find out what the critics thought so we're in a critics thought segment the critics on imdb gave it a 47 percent audience score Similarly, has it at four? I mean, did I say 97? I meant to say 47. <laughs> Oops. The critics had it at 47%. The audience similarly has it at 47%. On Rotten Tomatoes, uh, on IMDb, it's at 6.4 out of 10. So uh, just across the board, very similar scores. <laughs> yeah. It's a very... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with IMDb more than, than Rotten Tomatoes. For right, sure. right. As a matter of fact, yeah. It's much higher than I would have expected on INDV. So I think there are a lot Same of people here. like you that have gone back to the film and considered, you know, reevaluated and, and have, have thought that, you know, it's much better than they remember it. And and I would like to say that after getting over Newt and Hicks' death, I was like, you know what, this this movie is a little bit better now. It's like you have yeah. to get over that. And then <laughs> once you get over that, it, it it's it's much better. So David Anston from Newsweek at the time said in his review, just at the point when Alien 3 should kick into high terror gear, it becomes clear that this hushed, somber sequel doesn't know how to deliver the goods. And Jake Cole from the Slant magazine said, for all its inherent structural problems, Alien 3 remains a worthy intended conclusion to the series, finding its true resolution in Ripley's resolve to break the endless cycle of her torment. 
I I agree with that. Like, yeah, it I, it is. It was supposed to be the end of the story. Yeah, um, breaking the cycle of her torment by sacrificing yourself is rather yep. sad, but uh, sometimes it's got to happen. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jeff Andrew from Time Out wrote. Good acting has salvaged many a poor script in the past, but not here. Um, I would say hmm. no, it it it, it, it kind of did. It kind of <laughs> at least he's saying the acting was good, which it is. The performances yeah. are very good in this film. Yeah, yeah. I would have agreed with him thirty years ago, but now I'm like, yeah, yeah it's 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 a little bit better now that I've I've watched it again. And then finally, Trace Thurman from Horror Queers podcast wrote. A bald tonal departure from its immediate predecessor, Alien 3 nonetheless weaves its nihilistic self under your skin and refuses to leave. Yeah, yes. there's some truth to that. There's some truth to that yep. statement. So, yeah, that's what we have uh, our critics say. You've heard our say. So, finally, Alien 3 is, as of this recording, available on streaming. That's it for today. In a fortnight, we'll be back with the next sequel, Alien Resurrection. I've reorganized <laughs> our social media. I can't wait to hear that one, too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be fun. I'm going to have uh, fun guest hosts. Uh, there's Rod and Karen from the Black Guy Who Dips podcast. And okay. there, there are some... Uh, great associates some great I, I hesitate to call people friends because i only know them through zoom but right, right. i like <laughs> in my heart of heart i consider all of you friends and family but um yeah they uh they have they have a great show that they they're really huge science fiction fans they're they're comic fans uh superhero movie fans so uh excited to have them on the show and uh, Alien Resurrection is one of my favorite alien films. I'll just put that out there. <laughs> it kind of goes back I, to what Aliens was with James Cameron. So I can't mm -hmm. wait to watch that one again. I mean, John, I love Jean-Pierre Junet films. I love him as director. And and yeah, I was so excited. I like Alien Resurrection, too. I think I like Alien 3 better, but Alien Resurrection is a, a wild ride. Right. So, um. And, uh, on another note, I've reorganized our social media accounts so that you can follow us on Twitter, TikTok, Blue Sky, Facebook, Instagram, or Threads at Backlick Cinema. I've done it. I brought them all under one name, at Backlick Cinema, on any social media that you might be a part of. And there I am. And uh, also, thank you, John, for Give me that invite to Blue Sky. Or at least I know you had a say in it. <laughs> I appreciate Absolutely. that. Even though Blue Sky is kind of bare bones, but uh, I'm sure as time goes on, it'll grow and it'll have better functionality and whatnot. But um, I feel oh, like please, I'm an yeah. exclusive. I'm in an exclusive club. It's like, oh, I got an invite. Well, look at yours. <laughs> That's how they get you, man. That's how they get you. <laughs> So once again, uh, you can follow me on all of my social media presence or just by following at Backlick Cinema. And also, if you have Excellent. any if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can leave a uh, an email at fanmail at backlickcinema.com. And John, do you have any additional plugs? 
Uh, just once again, check out uh, at Open Pike on all social medias and go to openpike.com. If you haven't watched Star Trek Strange New Worlds, if you haven't watched much Star Trek at all, it is a great starter introduction to Star Trek. Like, you can step into Strange New Worlds not knowing a single thing about Star Trek and you will enjoy it. I concur. I tell people a lot of time, it's like if they haven't watched Strange, if they haven't watched any Star Trek at all, Strange New World is a great jumping on point. If there's yep. so much Star Trek on television right now, like even if you're talking about like the recent shows that have come out there, they're not like having new episodes, but they're still being streamed on Paramount Plus. And they wanted to start like, do I start with Picard? Do I start with Discovery? Oh, start man. with Strange yeah. New Worlds. Start, start with Strange there. New Worlds. <laughs> and, yeah. And it'll spoil you. You may not want to watch other shows after that. But yeah, definitely start with that one. And then move over to, what was the other one called? Um, Lower Decks. Move on over Lower to Decks. Lower Decks. Uh, yeah. they're, they're neck Lower and neck. Decks requires more homework than, than Strange New Worlds does, but not enough that you can't enjoy the show if you right, don't right. know all the references. Right. And if, it's so good. Right. If and you the want, finale of this most recent season, oh my God, the animation is beautiful. Right. I I got I haven't yeah. checked it out yet. I was I had contemplated watching the uh the show before I started the podcast, but I could not get out of bed this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I was like I was in full laziness mode. But hey man, um, that's fair. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I think that you're right where you need to do homework to have the full enjoyment of Lower Decks. It, it would help to watch some of the shows to get some of the references. But I would argue that even if you hadn't watched any of the other shows, that you will still get some enjoyment. Like, you might not get, like, there's one episode, it's like the penultimate episode where they had shown the Binars. And my yeah. reaction is, like another person might be like, okay, you got some weird looking aliens, but my reaction is, oh my god, they brought back the binaries. The bi yeah, the bi yeah, they brought back these guys who were in one episode of one Next episode Generation thirty and never five years again. ago. And yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, they dug deep for some of those references. Yeah, yeah, yeah they they did dig uh, a considerable amount. I think what I enjoy about Lower Deck specifically is that you have to be a real fan to produce that show. There are some things that they really enjoy about Star Trek or they really enjoy poking fun of. Like, and I think it was in that same episode, um, they brought back the two-handed punch that uh, yep. Mariner was using to fight off the, uh, the her adversaries or whatever. Yep. The famous yep. Captain Kirk two-handed punch. <laughs> Kirk that, Fu, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that... They did in the first season. That was the best implementation of that joke, but uh, I like that they oh, brought yeah. the joke back for for this particular episode. Yeah, so, even Picard um, makes a joke about that at one point. Oh, I didn't realize that. I missed yeah. that one. <laughs> it was yeah in, in season two when they're on the bus. Um, when when Rios is on the bus and he's fighting a guard off, he 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 like. Does that and he's like, man, that just felt strong, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got it. I remember, I know the scene you're talking about. Yeah. I feel like I need to rewatch that episode because that's funny. For some reason, I missed that joke. Um, <laughs> yeah, but th those are some great shows, and you couldn't have a, a better pod companion podcast than Open Pipe Night. Thank so you. thank you. Yeah, it's it's great. I know you've enjoyed our guest, John T. Boat, so please listen to Open Pipe Night and Green Shirt, A Newbie's Guide to Trek. 
Believe me, it matters. I've been Zoe Richardson. Be safe. Share a movie from yesteryear with your family. Hug your loved ones. And if you're going to be anything, be outstanding.